0: I'm Danica Juarez, and I'm Jan James, and this is How's How's It Hold Up?
1: Hi, I'm Danica, and I'm Jan, and I'm Valerie, and today we watched the Disney Silly Symphony Three Little Pigs. So this is a short based on the classic fable about the three pigs, uh, one who builds their house of straw, one of sticks and one of uh, bricks and um, the big bad wolf who's trying to eat them. Uh, Since this is the Disney version, none of the pigs die and the wolf doesn't die (laughs) Um, because it's a, it's a silly little Disney cartoon. Um, And there's also a song in here that was fairly popular. Uh, I'm not going to bother like, Going more into detail about what the three little pigs is, yeah. He, he tries to blow on the house and he blows away I'll two huff of that. Enough and
0: I'll and, puff he, and, I'll and he blows burn. away two
1: of the houses because they're weaker, and then he can't blow away the brick one. What did we think of this cartoon?
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought it was good. It was good. It was very good. It was very pretty too. Eye candy.
1: Yes, it's in a gorgeous Technicolor that I think at this point Disney still has the exclusive uh, production rights on. At least in the realm of cartoons. I don't know if that extends to to movies or not. Um, But yes, it looks very good. Um, Which like shorts can look good in black and white also. But this is in color and it looks very nice. Probably the best one of the Disney color ones that we've seen. Like I think it looks notably better than um, the the King Neptune one. Um, Mm -hmm. I I think the colors pop a lot more here. Uh, Part of that is that this uh, was on... Uh, Disney Plus, so it's in beautiful HD, whereas yeah. the Neptune one, I did not have an HD, but I, I think it's a, I think it's a little beyond that, too. I think the color choices were just really good. Um, and it also really makes sense, sorry,
0: because, yeah. because you have such a basic story, but then you have the very distinct, um, you know, hay house, you know, yellow hay, and then the brown sticks. But then even I really like the color and the deviation uh, of some of the stone and st- masonry work for the brick house. So, yeah.
1: Let's get specific by which I mean some fun facts. Uh, this was directed by Bert Gillett. Um, and it's, uh, he, he did a lot of, uh, early Disney Mickey and silly symphony shorts, including, I think some of the ones that we've already watched. Um, but he would, uh, eventually leave Disney and was, I think mostly poached by another studio because of the success of this particular short. Mm. Uh, Let me, let me put into perspective how big this short was. This cartoon was phenomenally successful with audience of the day, so much so that theaters ran the cartoon for months after its debut to great financial response. Some venues ran the film for such long runs that hand-drawn beards were added to marquees and one-sheet posters. <laughs> the short cost $22,000 and ended up grossing $250,000. And wow. it is still considered to be the most successful animated short ever made.
0: Wow! The
1: short won the 1934 Academy Award for Best Animated Short Film of 1933. In 1994, it was voted number 11 of the 50 Greatest Cartoons of All Time by members of the animation field. Wow. In 2007, Three Little Pigs was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress as being considered culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. Wow! Um, it's also notable that this cartoon ended up having three official sequels and a fourth cartoon made for the National Film Board of Canada to promote war bonds. That fourth film, <laughs> oh, that fourth film primarily utilizes reused footage from this original cartoon. Uh, the other three films, while moderately successful, never remotely approached the success of the original, prompting Disney to kind of lose faith in sequels as a concept mm. and to develop the motto "You can't top pigs with pigs." <laughs>
2: Hi. Yeah, like, yeah, you know. <laughs> that
1: makes sense. Uh, so let's talk some about the story and characters. And I'll, I'll do one more note here, which is that part of the reason for the short success was its story, which benefited from an important innovation made around the time Pig's was in development, a story department, separate from the animators with storyboard artists who were dedicated to working on a story development phase of the production pipeline. Previous to that, making cartoons was more about, like, suggesting gags (laughs) rather than like caring about any concept of a story um but this clearly has a story and story departments would definitely become more of a thing among disney and other studios as time went on uh but yeah what, what do we think about the story and characters here
0: well, I was just going to say, as far as the characters, I, I really do like. Even though this was such a short, you know, obviously a, a short, yeah, uh, very, um, very brief. You still had your personalities that they developed initially that they stayed consistent with, which which was really nice. Just that that very uh, laid back, um, relaxed of, especially the first two. I would just say the first two pigs maybe aren't real distinguishable, other than um, you know they. They They're not super distinguishable
1: from each other. Exactly. But they are very distinguishable from Practical Pig. Yes. Their, their names are Pfeiffer Pig, the Straw House one, Fiddler Pig, the Sticks one, and Practical Pig. The other two are just <laughs> named after the instruments they play.
0: But I love how they just keep who's afraid of the big pig? And, and they keep playing that and then they get scared. And <laughs> then they do it, and then they get scared. And then they go yeah. you know, back and forth is really cute. And then and then the practical pig. I like how he's kind of grumps and grumpy. But then hey, he's a good little piano player so. yeah he is
1: he <laughs> but, gets pretty sassy with that piano honestly yes
0: yes yes but but i i love the pictures in his room that's another different one the mom and the and the father mother father um but i i just yeah that and 2 is even cute with when they came in it's like you know you weren't practical but now we're all here you're safe you know so i, I like that that kind of then i don't know protective little vibe and and then the little scaredy cats that kept running underneath the bed. So, yeah, just cute, consistent characterization, personality that they developed.
2: Yeah, I think it's interesting that you pointed out that there's uh, a story department. I think that is obvious now that I know that. Because, like, the short didn't have cutaways to gags or just leading up into gags. It was the beginning had um, the two pigs that had their own songs to kind of tell the, tell the audience who they are. Um, and, and they were cute within them and delightful,
1: but like, it wasn't, um, it wasn't a gag a mile a minute kind of thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, and it was, it was fo- character focused rather than gag focused, I guess. Yeah.
2: And it was still enjoyable. There was humor and like how the, the rooms were set up, like you mentioned with practical pigs home. Um,
1: yeah, you didn't actually say, but the the mother picture is like a, a big pig with some little piglets, I think, suckling or whatever. But the father picture is some sausages, so <laughs> a little bit of dark humor there.
2: Yeah, and they have an Uncle Otto who's a who's a football in pigskin. Mm-hmm. Um. So so yeah, like there's there's funny stuff there. Yeah, I guess when when again, like mentioning the story, it wasn't as gag focused, but it was it was really. Just like a solid, uh, a solid short. The momentum of the short didn't lag or anything like that. It yeah. was uh, as a
0: package, just really good. I like. I was just even thinking of the second one, uh, where w- when they went, when the first pig went to the second pig, the the stick house, and they were of course scared. They hid hid under the rug, and I like how they keep having them hide. But then when the big bad wolf was going to blow down the house, and I and I like. I I kind of, I missed kind of the huff and I'll puff and I'll blow it, but that would have made it even longer. But again, he's just like, I'm going to blow your house down. And so when he's blowing the house down... Uh, well, one is I like at the very beginning with the, with the straw house pig. And I forgot what you said that pig's Pfeiffer. name was. Pfeiffer. When Pfeiffer was running and hiding from him, you see when you cut to the inside and seeing Pfeiffer. Pfeiffer had put all of their furniture against the door. You
1: should say Pfeiffer Pig. Because like saying practical, oh. p- just saying practical as the name doesn't work. So I think mm-hmm. they're just, they're supposed to be yeah. named pig. Pfeiffer Pig. Yeah.
0: So when Pfeiffer Pig was barred, barred himself or herself into the house... And then it cuts to the inside of the house. You see that they had placed all their furniture against the door. Uh, And so, and then when, when it all came down, they were able to run off. And then when they went, when both, when they were in the straw house, or sorry, the stick house, the stick house, um, they were hiding underneath, underneath the rug. But sorry, the kind of funny was when they, when he, when the big bad wolf blows down the house, you see them holding and, and trying to bar the door and then all that's left is a door and they're still trying to bar the door and then then they realize or feel something and they look up and of course nothing's around them so then they of course they run off. But that was anyway, that was cute.
1: I, yeah, I think it I think it shows that there's I, I think it just kinda shows the evolution of humor in these cartoons is that it doesn't have to be constant gags and some of the gags that are there they're not necessarily thinkers, but it's like a little more complex than just like character has noodly arms and stretches. You know, like it's it's just there's there's more to it, I guess. Um, and it's it's yeah, it's fascinating to watch uh, that evolution.
0: I also liked when the big bad wolf. Uh I don't know, tries to trick him and act as if he went away on a horse, but then he comes back and he puts himself into a basket, like a big laundry basket and covers himself with a sheepskin. But then I'm not sure how, but they're like, you're not going to fool me with that old sheepskin. Other portrayals, the first two pigs weren't very bright. And that's part of and it why it still seems were, like they're yeah.
1: probably not too, bright, not too but, bright,
0: but but they weren't fooled by that. So yeah. I just mean, yeah. So that was interesting.
1: Yeah, uh, Big Bad Wolf definitely has a a big presence and dipping into voice acting a little bit. uh, Part of the reason for that is that he's voiced by Billy Bletcher, who was a known comedic actor of the time. Um, but his success in the role of the big bad wolf led him to getting cast as Mickey's archenemy Pete, among many other oh villainous goodness. roles in animation. So yeah, oh he has a bi- he has a big, powerful voice. He does yeah he
0: does oh wow I was gonna say it was a very menacing
1: voice. Yeah. Oh
0: my goodness, I did so not he, realize that. So he
1: basically because of this, he ends up being cast as Pete, who at this point doesn't have a consistent voice actor. I think the last Mickey cartoon we watched that had him, he was voiced by Pinto kolvic better known for doing goofy and also in this short pinto colvig is here voicing the practical pig Mm -hmm. and a certain other (laughs) he also briefly voices the big bad wolf in the original version for a part that we'll talk about in a different section
0: oh i think i know what you're gonna say (laughs) uh pfeiffer
1: pig and fiddler pig meanwhile are voiced by dorothy compton and mary motor who i think were more known for um being freelance singers than than voice acting, uh, mm. but I think they did a good job.
0: Yeah, with the singing of the song, though. Yeah. Yeah, great, great song of the Who's Afraid of the Big Bad Wolf.
1: Definitely. Uh, we will definitely be talking more about that song. Um, but but yeah, I, I, Big Bad Wolf is, is definitely a I would go so far as to say it's it's between him and Practical Pig, who is the most memorable character in here. And I, I kind of give it to him. And I think history bears it out because he tends to be the one that cameos in other things the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's just he's the big bad wolf, you know, and mm-hmm. like the concept of the big bad wolf will appear in many other people's cartoons. Like Warner Brothers will have like five different versions of him, just depending on what's needed in a cartoon um but like this particular big bad wolf that is the disney version he he appears past this not even just in the direct sequels to this of which again there are like 3 um but also in in comics in uh in a mickey mouse another mickey mouse short that has a select like, celebrities in it mm-hmm. um in stuff like house of mouse later and stuff like the Big Bad Wolf is, he's pretty iconic, you know, this version of him.
0: Yeah, I really like, he was very menacing looking. And I just, everything from the fur to to his size, I mean, to his, um, his, his snout, his teeth. Uh, yeah, very, very intimidating. In contrast, I wasn't a real big fan of the look of the pigs. I don't know, <laughs> they just weren't.
1: I think they're made even cuter in the sequels. Honestly, but their y-
0: shape and all was really cute. It was just their faces and, and, and their the eyes snouts. are kind of
1: small. Yeah. I feel like they're bigger in later ones because, yeah, their eyes are pretty small, which is interesting.
0: It felt like the the wolf's um,
2: design was a little more fluid than the pigs, like with his face and his eyes. Like it felt like it wasn't consistent throughout the short, but it felt like the pigs had a, a pretty stable look. Yeah. Which isn't, you know, a value judgment, but it was just interesting.
1: I think we're also, we're entering kind of an era where, at least at Disney, animation is being assigned not so much by scene or whatever, but by character. So I think that there was, I like, particular people who tended to work on the pigs versus worked on the big bad wolf throughout this short. Um, there were several of, of the of uh, the big people that uh, the nine old men and stuff, some of them worked on it. Um, and, Let's dip into Fred animation so I can talk about Fred Moore, who started at the studio in August 1930 at the age of 19, rose to prominence as an animator and ended up working on this short. He developed an integral attitude of the characters' bodies as they followed through with their actions, called squash and stretch, as it became known. It meant, uh, it meant that the, the volume and the curved forms of the pig's bodies remained consistent as they altered shape by the force of pulling or pushing. Uh, Moore's introductory scenes with pfeiffer fiddler and practical pig attested to these new methods of flexibility and character animation this impressed his fellow colleagues and walt disney himself it proved so influential that other animation studios proceeded to implement squash and stretch as a concept rendering rubber hose animation begun in the late teens almost archaic um i i can't i cannot overstate the importance that squash and stretch has in the animation field it is taught nowadays as a fundamental tenet of how you animate period like it is important and I, I, the way that you can most see it in this short is that when you're looking at their their how their limbs and stuff move and how their bodies move it's not just the 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 wiggliness and stuff of of that rubber hose animation it's starting to have more realism to it but also when they do unrealistic things the thing with squash and stretch is that the volume of the body stays the same so like the big bad wolf puffing up his chest the lower part of him has to get smaller you know yeah and that's it's not like jokes like that hadn't like visual gags like that hadn't existed in rubber hose animation, but they hadn't been implemented as like the fundamental like design for the whole thing, you know? And it it quickly becomes the only way that Disney does animation. And yeah, it seeps into everything. Like the classic Looney Tunes and stuff that you think of are all employing it too. <laughs> like it's it's just a fundamental aspect of the animation field and i don't think this is the first cartoon that fred moore implemented it on but given the popularity and reach of it i think it is easy to say that it is the most influential cartoon in that that when it comes to squash and stretch like this is the thing that everyone saw that made them be like maybe we should do this wow Uh, Also, at uh, one point, animator Chuck Jones, who you might know from uh, Looney Tunes, uh, observed that this was the first time that anybody ever brought characters to life in an animated cartoon. There were three characters who looked alike and acted differently. And yeah, sure, two of them act pretty similar. But the fact that there's a difference between these three pigs at all when they like have the same basic character design minus costumes was impressive back then. Like that wasn't. I mean, think about all of the other uh, lead characters that we see in these other cartoons of this day. They're just Mickey and Mickey himself isn't even that characterful, you know, like he's fun and cute, but like there's nothing differentiating him from what everyone else is doing and vice versa. Um, There's not a whole lot of difference even between Minnie and Mickey other than she's a girl and she has different clothes, you know, but this is like three pigs that look almost the same except for their clothes, but act super different.
2: It, it, it's interesting, like reflecting on watching it, it was enjoyable, but to us not as groundbreaking as right. it was then, <laughs> mm-hmm. because it is employing the stuff that is essential today. Yeah. So... Yeah. That's kind of hard to it's the best... reflect on.
1: Exactly. Like the that's but that is part of why we do this chronologically, because it's like the best thing that we can possibly compare it to is what we've been watching with these shorts so far. Yeah. And like just thinking about how they compare. Like and when I and I do want to mention that most studios end up employing squash and stretch, but one of the notable ones that pretty much doesn't um, until they're closed, is Fleischer Studios. They keep doing the rubber hose stuff because that's what works for them, and it's yeah. part of their style or whatever. Um, but it it just becomes so dominant in the industry that it's, it's weird to not have it today. Like, I mean, I would even... I think even probably stuff like Adventure Time that obviously to some degree is taking influence from Rubber Hose animation with their noodly arms and stuff is still for a lot of its stuff utilizing concepts like squash and stretch because it's just it's almost impossible not to nowadays.
0: I wish that he had gotten more credit if he's the one who came up with something that innovated. I mean, he's
1: a pretty well known dude, but the general public doesn't really recognize the names of animators yeah <laughs> like i i've mentioned the nine old men as they're referred to which are some of like basically the most well-known classic disney animators mm-hmm. but if i said their names you guys wouldn't recognize them beyond maybe hearing me say say it before yeah.
0: i just made it but a because wow. you kn-
1: but you recognize chuck jones's name don't you mm-hmm. because chuck jones actually like made himself well, like he he put effort into a public image and like to some degree, maybe he took credit for more things than he should have, but also to some degree, he did make some amazing things and he made himself a household name, but he had to work at that and that's not, a thing that most animators get like yeah. even a lot of the other animators probably at looney tunes like do you recognize the name fritz freeling tex avery tex avery tex yes. avery you do he's another one who kind of he he kind of made his name known um there's there's just uh, or uh, robert McKimson was one of the big ones at um at warner brothers um yeah like There's just not a lot of animators that people know the names of because it's one of those things that is just people appreciate the animation, but they don't appreciate that. The like the, the individuals who do it. The um, we'll talk more about why we watched part of it. But that uh clip of the original version of this short that I showed you, you might have noticed the names up in the corner, and that's because the overall purpose of that video was showing the names of the people who worked on each scene. So like it would switch back and forth because there were different animators working on it. But the goal of animation is. Generally not to make it super clear who individually did each scene. You want it all to flow together. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of times you'll end up with a thing where even if five people worked on a thing, there's one name that anyone even sees. You know, they'll see the director usually. Yeah. (laughs) And it's like... Sometimes the director did almost all of it like with some of the older Fleischer shorts. Um, and sometimes the director had like four people working under them and are and did almost no actual animation and the, you can't tell the difference most of the time unless you're the sort of nerd who really looks into it. Um, yeah, it's 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 kind of like voice acting in the sense that it yeah, is. It's a really say, kind yeah. of undervalued the individuals that put the work in.
0: Yeah. I was just going to say that's, that's, that's what it reminds me of today that of course I get so wrapped up in his voice acting. Um, of course, again, huge critical role fan and, and all that good stuff. But, uh, but yeah, I just really appreciate good voice acting because of video games, because of animation, all of that.
2: Yeah. I think that's interesting. Uh, today you have someone like James Baxter, like mm. you, the names are associated with, Exceptional things. Yes. Um, so, like, individually, it's really hard. So, yeah, like James Baxter or the guy who does um, in more classic Disney with, like, the head shake in, like, uh, Robin Hood. Uh, like, there's a guy who does a particular, uh, animates a particular head waggle. And and so, like, that's where you can kind of pull names. But, but again, it's, like, exceptional things, not seem to see or like stuff. people
1: who who were a small were like a relatively smaller part but then made a big name for themselves like don bluth let's say yeah yeah who did start off doing animation but eventually got to the point where he was directing and then went off and made his own competing studio you hear about him because of that going off and creating his own competing studio thing yeah. <laughs> like if he had just stayed at disney the whole time would you necessarily know him probably not honestly just nerds who look into Stuff like, like, I mean, honestly, with a lot of Disney movies, you don't even know who directed it. It's like not until generally speaking the Renaissance that people even paid a little bit of attention to that. Like, who, who, who directed Robin Hood? I can't even tell you off the top of my head. Um, yeah, it's animation is interesting and in the way that it's just undervalued as an art form well
0: big shout out and love to animators and voice (laughs) actors
1: and actresses because you guys are amazing well let's move a little bit off of animation as much as we love to talk about it and talk some about the sound design specifically let's talk about that song the original song um who's afraid of the big bad wolf was composed by frank churchill and was a best-selling single at the time (laughs) um the success of Disney's first smash hit song actually surprised him. Uh, customers in music stores clamored for sheet music of this song, but none had been prepared. Disney sent his musicians to the theater to copy the words and music from the screen to appease those demands. Yeah, this basically like uh, the musical careers of kids on Disney Channel wouldn't exist without this. I think Aww, <laughs> like this so nice. this kick started the idea that mm-hmm. Disney could make a lot of money. Selling music. From his stuff
0: <laughs> Yeah
1: um, Yeah This this Mate. It's important in that way uh, Other reasons that this was so popular at the time Is that the song uh, mirrored the people's resolve Against the big bad wolf of the Great Depression mm. It actually yeah. became something of an anthem Of the Great Depression back in 1933 But it kind of continued having relevancy Even into the 40s Where it shifted and became more of a uh, w- When the Nazis started like a- Expanding their boundaries uh, of Germany in the years preceding World War II, this song started becoming, um, Started representing the complacency of the Western world and allowing Fuhrer Adolf Hitler to make considerable acquisitions of territory without going to war. It be, the Big Bad Wolf became Hitler, and and we were the pigs. So we were practical pig, maybe who who could say? But it, we it, the
2: singer, but
1: right, right. The but other it,
2: pigs is the West.
1: Right, yeah. It it just became this thing that was enough of a loose metaphor to work even a decade later, um, gotcha. even though. Other aspects of it didn't work a decade later, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But yeah, this song was huge. This song was on radio. This song, everyone knew it back then. And it has been covered since then uh, by multiple other people, too. But yeah, this song was a hit.
2: I'm curious about how it is constructed in terms of in the short. It wasn't like sung the whole way. Right.
1: Uh, It stops and starts a bit. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. So I... Yeah, I'm curious what the whole song sounds like. Do we have the little intros from the, uh, from Pfeiffer Pig and Fiddler Pig? Because I thought those were really cute. The Pfeiffer's, he's like, oh, I, what is it? I toot my flute and I don't give a hoot.
1: I'm, I'm pretty like, sure that's in there.
2: Love it. There, yeah, yeah, like there's,
1: there's <laughs> obviously, yeah, I have, I have the, uh, a version of it that's on one of the like Disney classics collection or whatever. Um And yeah, I'm pretty sure it, it keeps that part. That's yeah.
0: so cute. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And too, so so if my understanding is correct, just one of the, uh, obviously not an animator, but someone who worked on the project just came up with this song. Uh,
1: yeah, so Frank working. Churchill, who, oh, who, wow, that's right. who composed Frank the Churchill. music for it, it. it also. Got it, um, He was kind of, he was one of the main uh, composers during that time period. Uh, Carl Stalling... Originally was the main Disney composer, but he left for a bit, and so Frank Churchill became the main one. Carl Stalling I think came back for a little bit, um, and I think he even did a little bit of the music in this. Um, but he, Carl Stalling, Stalling would eventually go on to become most well known for doing all the music in Looney Tunes, like mm-hmm. all of the classic music that ever comes to your head that was it that's Looney Tunes related is, is him or renditions of classical stuff he did sometimes, but like he, he becomes very well known for that. Um, but yeah, right now it's Frank Churchill and Frank Churchill ends up doing, uh, a lot of the music for some of the early movies and stuff too. I'm pretty sure he did it for like Pinocchio and stuff like, yeah, he's, he's a, a big music guy over at Disney. Let's go on to the part that our podcast is named after. How's it hold up? So uh, we watched the version of this that is on Disney+, Plus, which fortunately did not have any sort of disclaimer ahead of it saying that it was true to the original version. Um, and then we watched a, a, a scene on YouTube from the original version with the original audio, which is notably degraded uh, the audio uh, as if it's not used much in modern things. Um, this short film has a scene... As we saw in the Disney Plus version, where the wolf comes to a do- to the door, he's in some sort of kind of disguise, and he's saying that he's the Fuller Brush man. Um, he's talking in a voice that doesn't sound like the rest, the voice he uses the rest of the time, and uh, he tries to get in the door that way, and he fails. The original version of the scene um, still had him disguised as a fuller brush man, or I think he still refers to himself as, but he's also more obviously a Jewish peddler, complete with a fake nose, glasses, and beard disguise. He uh, uses His voice switches to a Yiddish accent, and the music during that scene incorporates a fiddle. Um, Social attitudes changed by the time the film was to be reissued in the late 40s, leading the Hayes office to demand the sequence be revised to omit the stereotypical aspects of The Voice in Disguise. Part of the reason for that change in social attitudes was because of the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. Worth noting. Uh, It takes a whole lot for social attitudes to change sometimes. The first revision was made in September 1947 by director Jack Hanna and kept the original dialogue track, and that is referring to the animation that we saw where he does not have the disguise anymore. Um, Later, the soundtrack was also revised with the Wolf's second line of dialogue changed to I'm working my way through college, and that is why you might have noticed noticed that during that line, it doesn't seem to fully sync up with his mouth movements. And that's because he uh, said the same thing originally as he did in the first one, where he says something about a free sample. And if you look at his lips, he's still clearly saying the free sample, like you can see it. Uh, But they changed it to I'm working my way through college. And he has like a, a... I don't even know what the voice is. He sounds very silly and dumb. Um, <laughs> I wish they had chose something that matched the lips a little better because it's distracting to me every time. Uh, but yeah, there's there's multiple changes that happened to this, and that was in the '40s. <laughs> this aid this uh, this didn't hold up ten years after it was made, and it's been like, um. Closer to a hundred now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, overall, the short does. But that particular part did not. And it is good that they changed it because that was a bad choice. Yes. Um, so, yeah,
2: that brings me back to the song. Is this sort of thing in the song? Do they have to change that?
1: I don't think the wolf sang during that part. So, okay. no, I don't believe so. Um, no, it's it's pretty much just the pigs that sing. The, the wolf never really sings any of the songs. So. Okay. I don't think Billy butcher's on the the officially released track at all. So
2: yeah, all of this has me also question like, uh, ho- who and how people got paid for this. If it was so successful, what's the breakdown of <laughs> the composer, the the voice actors on it?
1: It's a uh, great question.
0: Just curious.
1: I think Disney made a lot of money off of it. I'm not, sure. He did. Not sure who else did.
0: Yeah, I don't get why writers. Any, any of them are ever going, why put in stereotypes? Why? It's not...
1: Because they think it's funny. Yeah, That's the answer.
0: People found it funny.
1: Yeah, they think yeah. it's funny, and they know that a lot of other people think it's funny. I mean, you're just going to ask this more and more with all the no. heinous, constant black stereotypes that pop up for, like, a small joke in Warner Brothers and even MGM cartoons. Like, this unfortunately, uh, social attitudes changed towards uh, Jewish people in the 40s at least uh, at, in, at least at least in 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 terms of this being unacceptable. Obviously there's still anti-Semitism and there was in the 40s still. but um, it didn't change that much for black people. <laughs> so that's gonna keep being a thing for decades unfortunately um, I just uh, I just don't get it. Yeah. It's people, people got hate in their hearts and they think it's funny. Yeah. I
0: mean, I just, yeah. I, to people, me, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's people so thinking that they're
1: better than other yeah, people. I just, it's, it's like these people are funny because they're different. Here's the way that they're different that we think is funny. And it's like they do the long nose to, to symbolize Jewish people because they're like, that's, that's not what normal people look like. That's ugly and makes it clear that you're a Jewish person. Uh, like that, that they do the those lips on uh, black characters in animation because not to reflect actual black people, but to reflect the blackface that was popular at the time that looked like that. Like in the blackface, all of the. Um, Minstrel shows was just completely about how stupid and dumb black people were. That was their whole thing. <laughs> they had, like, d- multiple different archetypes of stupidity, too. They had a- multiple types of of your stereotypical black person that were just like characters in their own right that would appear again and again in things. And that was a whole institution back then.
0: Yeah, I guess I just even think of longevity and even, okay, if you, I mean, just even watching your your dollars and cents, why you think that that is going to hold up. I, that's, I, I guess, mean, too, what it's makes also, me incredulous. Friends
1: in the 90s has tons of gay and transphobic jokes. Like, yeah. Yeah. it's, they're not... We can, in retrospect, look back and talk about how, like, obviously that was not going to hold up over time. But to them, they don't see it as an antiquated viewpoint that's going to lose cultural relevance as time goes on. As far as the people animating back then know, for one, they don't they're probably not thinking much about longevity anyways, uh, because there's not like there's not a uh, home video releases and stuff that stuff is more transient anyways once yeah. it's out of theaters it's kind of gone unless they put it back in theaters but like they they're also like they don't have any reason in their heads to think that that's eventually not going to be funny anyways mm-hmm. yeah. like and who knows if it ever stopped being funny then maybe they went to their deathbed still thinking that was hilarious mm-hmm. who can, who can say and it sucks
2: yeah
1: but, yeah. yeah
2: but yeah and you say That people have hate in their hearts, and yes, there are people that do, but also, like, if you are a child watching this, Mm -hmm. you're laughing because it is structured to make you laugh, right? Or there is like a slapstick element that is funny in addition to this kind of social element, and then you learn to associate, like, okay, this thing must be funny, yep, without you know, you don't know the implication of everything around it, and so then you know, you might grow up and. I uh, still think it's funny until something corrects you and is like, no, that's actually very harmful. Uh, like you, you brought up even now uh, with friend stuff, kind of the more modern, like it, it wasn't, I don't know, a decade, two decades ago that you were using uh, gay negatively, using R, the R word in a derogatory way. It, it, Having
1: extended jokes that's just about how gross trans people are when you find out that, oh, this is a trans person. Yeah,
2: and that's, you know, uh, sh- that particular has shifted not just 10, 20 years ago. Yeah. Like, that's more recent. Yep. Still. But it's like uh, the the people that created the thing perpetuating those, that stuff, the younger people internalizing it. But as we hopefully shift to a more accepting point of view, that it it, it gets phased out. And I don't want to create the assumption that we are just progressing positively because it's not, that's not true, that it just gets better over time. I know, there's it's a just, lot of
1: people trying really hard to make it not get better right now.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's, it's a push and pull. But yeah, it's not just a person who makes that joke is inherently bad. There's lots of stuff around it that could also mean that like, if you're somebody who has laughed at that joke, you're not necessarily inherently bad. You just might have something to learn.
1: And it's also uh, worth noting that the fact that in 1933... Uh, The dominant society thought that this Jewish stereotype was funny doesn't doesn't mean everyone did. I'm sure that there were Jewish people who watched it in 1933 and did not like that joke and thought that it was hurtful.
2: Yeah,
1: Uh, because the people that are made fun of in these cartoons like this have always existed and are always going to end up seeing it uh, one way or another. It's it sucks. Anyways, Let's get off of how's it hold up and let's go on to our favorites and least favorites. What was your least favorite moment in the short? I I mean, obviously the original version of the shorts um, peddler scene is the worst part, but in terms of what's more uh, generally available, that version is, is generally hard to find. It is not really released anymore by Disney. Uh, So what, Outside of that, I guess, let's okay. say. That is obviously, that is the answer for all of us. Yes. <laughs> but in terms of what's n- normally seen by people, I'm still going to go with that scene because it's really annoying how the lip sync doesn't work when he says, I work, I'm working my way through college and I don't find the voice that he's doing there very funny, even if it's not necessarily offensive.
0: I'm going to say that also, but just also because I guess to me it was a little bit pointless and it, in. I don't know. It just seems silly him opening the door and whatever, and seemed off, awfully kind of dangerous anyway. I'm surprised that the strength of the of the big bad wolf wasn't able to burst the chain or come through. So I don't know. So I I, I like that scene the least. Yeah, I'd have to
2: agree as well, mostly because of the 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 setups of to why he's trying to trick them. That that one's the weakest. And it made me, yeah, the the kind of working my my way through college just made me uh, get in my head about like, you know, how oh, does this work? I wonder how much college was like. Has that is that uh, <laughs> common? It just, it's
1: taken you out of it.
2: Yeah, yeah, and that's funny. Uh, but I do think it is characterful in terms of the Practical Pig opening the door, showing how you know trusting he is that his setup will protect him. So he's more willing to to mess with the big bad wolf rather than just like hunker down and be like, "No, nah, I'm good. I won't even worry about it." He's like, "Oh, sure, let's see," and then he you know hits him on the head or whatever.
1: Yeah, I like the end part, but like the the main him trying to trick part. Yeah. Oh, also another reason that the scene bothers me a little bit is that it's probably not that obvious to you guys, but I can tell that that animation's newer. I can tell that it's from the 40s, not the 30s.
2: Actually, yeah, I was going to uh, mention in that one, his hands are different. Yeah, his face
1: is different too. It looks more like he looks in the later shorts.
2: Yeah, with his hands, at least after, I didn't notice it before this in his hands the edges of his fingers are more of like a flesh colored but in that scene it's mostly black with the bottom of his hands being that flesh color so there are times when his hands um uh are obscured because it's black on black um that that isn't a problem in the other ones because they've they've taken that flesh color to the edges so that it is obvious where his hands are. So, so yeah, I noticed the difference too um, oh. in the scene and then after. But I didn't realize from before that it more meshed with the after because
0: that scene is new and different. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know. it just didn't make sense. Whatever him trying to pedal, and then I don't know, was it some kind of brush or something that
1: he's the fuller brush man? Oh, okay, this he's working sure. his way yeah. through college.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like when magazine sells people used to come and be like. Um, I'm almost, I'm almost got my trip to Hawaii. And I thought, why am I going to give you money so you can go to Hawaii? I don't know you person. <laughs> it's just like, that's not much of a motivation for me. Like, and if you're like sitting there, like, you know, I'm trying to pay for my child's, you know, college or I'm, or someone needs an operation. I mean, you know, that would be one they thing. They got to
1: work on the, on how endearing <laughs> they are. It's yeah. like, you know what? I like you. I do want you to go to Hawaii. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what was your favorite moment in the short? I think for me, it might've been how the practical pig kept like playing dramatic piano music to underscore the wolf's attempts to blow the place down. Like just fully mocking him with a piano. Mm, it's pretty, yeah, yeah. It's, it's good.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then um, and along with that scene, I don't remember what then the practical pig played, but basically he, he teased his siblings into like that the, the, the Big bad wolf was coming back. And oh, he just knocked back under on the, bed. the piano. Oh, he knocked on it. The... Oh, okay, okay, this one was all right.
1: That that was after though. But...
0: Okay, okay, but yeah, I did really enjoy the the piano playing and and all that interaction because then it would also kind of like pan to the the ones under the bed, but then the pictures on the wall, all that good stuff.
2: Yeah the uh, the scene where the Pfeiffer pig is introduced, I liked his little intro the best.
1: Nice. Who was your least favorite character? I mean, I I guess the the, piper and fiddler pig. They're they're the, the ones who need to learn the lesson and are therefore the most obnoxious.
2: I specifically like the fiddler pig the least.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Can, explain, explain <laughs> again.
2: I like the Pfeiffers. Okay,
1: that the gives best. that gives enough and so points. So they're
0: not equal. Gotcha. <laughs> fiddler, fiddler the least. I'm actually gonna second that uh, fiddler the least because I just mean the pfeiffer. It was I did like the fiddler pig trying to hold up in his door and then realizing that there was nothing around him other than the door he was holding up. But, but I like pfeiffer the whole was thing. also
1: helping at that point.
0: Oh, that's true, that's true. Uh, but I just like the whole thing with pfeiffer. You know, running not quite almost oh grabbing his little even his little mat that said welcome and and going in there and then Mm-mm. seeing that all his little furniture was against the door. So I think he was the more interesting of those two. Well, I'm
1: gonna get fiddler points because fiddler plays the fiddle and i used to play the violin so <laughs> they're equally bad for me
2: <laughs> but no yeah where the uh pfeiffer pig like pulls the welcome mat he's that like you funny. are unwelcome yes <laughs> yes. Go <laughs> yeah. get it twisted it's like i can't yes. i like, can't
1: leave this you'll think you're welcome i know i know, I
2: know. it's
0: like whoa, well, you're and you are not
2: if you have a welcome mat in front of your door and a vampire goes to it can they go in because the welcome mat is welcoming them in?
1: It's a great question. <laughs> Who was your favorite character of the short? Uh,
2: uh, practical Pig because I liked his decor. That was really yes. funny. He's a little stinker. He's a yes. little stinker. But he's a hard worker. Work yeah. hard, play hard. You yeah, know? yeah. I respect that.
0: Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> He, he taught us so many life lessons, like you said, primarily work hard, play hard. Yes, I am going to second that practical pig.
1: Oh, you're so funny. <laughs> uh, this isn't going to be surprising. My choice is going to be the big bad wolf. You know, you know, oh, you guys yeah, know yeah, I like yeah, villains. Yeah, oh, yeah. And
0: he's a great villain. Yeah. Yeah. Good, yeah, good choice. Good
1: Yeah. Choice. And he's he's the most iconic character in this, I think. Um, <laughs> and plus. Uh, Billy Bletcher voicing him gets Billy Bletcher voicing Pete. And I love Billy Bletcher as Pete. So. Yeah. That's so cool. Let's go on to our overall consensus and what we would rate it. This one is harder or
2: interesting because like I mentioned before, this wasn't especially standout because like I'm used to the things that were innovative and, and uh, impactful at that time. So I think I'll have to inflate inflate it, knowing what I know now from from your like fun facts and things. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I'll have to like uh, give it give it a curve in that sense. You don't
1: have to. I don't know, but if you can give it something more true to how you feel, but also say you should watch it because it's historically significant and that's and good and fair. like not even not even historically significant, but a slog to get through. Like you know, it's enjoyable.
2: Yeah, I mean. I guess in that sense, I don't, I can't remember a significant ones, but bad ones <laughs> <laughs> that we've watched.
1: Uh, that's some of the like m- really, really old animation stuff is not necessarily something you're going to rewatch for fun.
2: That's fair. Uh, but it's, it's a solid short. There are lots of things to like about it. Uh, you're not going to see the, the racist scene, most likely. Um,
1: you'd you'd have to seek it out.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You'd have to do some work. Uh, Yeah. I'll definitely recommend it and I will rate it a 4.25.
1: So on par with Snow White?
0: I guess. Yes. Hmm. Okay. I will definitely recommend it. I'm going to rate it a a 4.0, but yeah, good, solid, good, solid short.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I like it. It's very good. I'll give it a 3.5. I've just seen way more cartoons than you guys have, including the sequels to this short. Um, yeah, I I like it, but it's not one that I'm going to come back to again and again and again. But like, in terms of watching cartoons, because they're historically significant, this one's not difficult to get through. Like, it's, it's enjoyable. It still holds up for the most part outside of what we've talked about. Um, and yeah, it's cute. And it's uh, Billy Bletcher, you know? Yeah. Thanks, man. (laughs) And a good song. Good song. Thank you all very much for listening. Thank Thank you. you. Next time, we'll watch some other short. I haven't figured it out yet. I have... (laughs) I have uh, the Christmas break to figure it out because we're recording this before Christmas, even though we are releasing it after. Uh, but anyways. Hope you
2: had a good Christmas. Yeah, yeah. hope you had a good time. <laughs> yes, hope um, so.
1: But yeah. I haven't figured it out yet. I'll figure it out before it's relevant. <laughs>
2: Happy New Year. Yeah. Happy yeah. New Year.
1: Bye. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Every little bit helps, and even with a minimum pledge, you get access to things you won't hear in our main podcast feed. Check it out for more info. The two pieces of music used in this episode were created by Kevin McLeod. You can find both The Curtain Rises and Cool Cats at incomptech.com. That's incompetec dot both songs were licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. More info on that can be found at http://creativecommons.org/licenses/by/3.0. Slash 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 Thanks for listening. Okay, okay. I need to rein in this chaos a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all need to calm down.
2: So, yeah, this one. Wait, actually. uh, But.